Uh, if you guys have your Bibles, please turn with me to Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6. Melissa, my wife, told my oldest son that we were going to be in Mark chapter 6 uh, today. And Cademan said, we're not done with that book yet. How long is that? And so I'm like, don't worry, we'll finish by Christmas. Um, I don't think that helped. Uh, it, is, uh, it is safe uh, to say, and I don't think this is an understatement, uh, that all of Scripture is about Jesus. All of Scripture is about Jesus. Uh, Jesus was speaking to religious leaders in John chapter 5, verse 39, and he told them, You search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me. Um, Jesus spoke to the religious leaders of the day, and he said, The, the thing that you seem to be so passionate about and care deeply about uh, the, the ancient scriptures, those scriptures are um, not just words, it's, it's about the word, it's about me. Uh, when Jesus was walking on the road to Emmaus, he uh, said in Luke chapter 24, verse 27, in beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning about himself. When you read scripture, when you open up scripture, scripture teaches us, it teaches the hearer about Jesus. Uh, Jesus is not uh, simply a character who comes onto the scene in the New Testament, in the Gospels. He is someone uh, who is foretold about uh, in the Old Testament. When we look in these uh, pages, this word is about him from beginning to end. And so it makes sense to me, and I think it should make sense to us, when we approach Scripture, when we look at a passage in the Bible, we think to ourselves, what uh, do these words teach us about uh, the Word? What do these words teach us about Jesus? And so that's what I want to do this morning by looking at a miracle in the Gospel of Mark that may be familiar uh, to some of you. Perhaps you've heard this story before, but I want us uh, to think about this story in context of what does this teach us about Jesus. The story is found in uh, Mark chapter 6, beginning in verse 45. And so if you have your Bibles, uh, please turn with me there. Mark chapter 6, verse 45 uh, reads, Immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, uh, while he dismissed the crowd. So uh, you should know that this passage uh, follows the feeding of the 5,000. So just before this, you may remember last week, we talked about the miracle where Jesus took five loaves and two fish and multiplied it and fed thousands and thousands of people. And so uh, after that event takes place, Jesus looks to his disciples and basically says, you guys need to roll out. You need to get out of here. And you're thinking, well, why uh, is that? Well, we read in John, the Gospel of John, chapter 6, verse 14, it's because the people wanted to crown Jesus king. But they wanted to do it by force. John, chapter 6, verse 14 says, when the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. And so the, the thing that came to mind that this verse teaches us about Jesus is that Jesus had an unwavering plan. Uh, Jesus had an unwavering plan. Now maybe you're thinking to yourself, where did you get that? 
from that? Like, wh- where do you see that? Well, we, we notice here in verse 45 that Jesus uh, wasn't going to let anything get in the way of his plan and purpose uh, for his life. Jesus uh, came on mission uh, from the Father, and he came to accomplish what it was uh, that he set out to do. And so there are times in the New Testament where we read people wanting to do things to Jesus or for Jesus, and Jesus uh, basically won't let them. Uh, There are times in the Gospels, for instance, when Jesus performs a miracle, and then he tells to the person who's been healed, shh, hey, don't say anything about that. Right? And you read that, and you're like, "Well, well, why is that? And it's as if Jesus is saying, as he does in John chapter 2, my time has not yet come. Right? So Jesus performs miracles. He heals people. He, he does stuff like this. And then he, he moves the crowd because the crowd wants to crown him king. And he's like, it's not time yet. Uh, Jesus came with an intended purpose in mind. He was the most mission-minded man ever to walk uh, the planet. And I think one of the things that we notice from Mark chapter 6 is that clarity of mission helps us determine the difference between opportunities and distractions. Clarity of mission helps us determine the difference between opportunities and distractions. It seemed like in Jesus' life uh, there were a whole lot of distractions. Right? There, there were times when people were coming to him, vying for his time. There were times where people were coming to him, wanting to crown him king. And, and Jesus would move away from the crowds. Um, after Jesus feeds the 5,000, you think that Jesus would relish in the approval of the crowd. I mean, that's, that's pretty impressive, right? You would think if there was a crowd going, hey, we want to make you king, Jesus would be like, I'm game. Like, let's do it, right? He just performed a miracle, but instead Jesus goes, no, 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 no. Disciples, you leave, and I'm going to pray. Um, There's a difference in life between uh, distractions and opportunities. Uh, When we have clear vision and direction, we're able to tell the difference between the two. Uh, We can look at an opportunity and go, no, 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 that's a distraction uh, to what God has called me to. Um, There are other times when we have clarity of mission or a vision where we look at an opportunity and we go, God's called us to do that. I'm going to chase after that. That's what he's created me to do, but it's important for us to be able to tell the difference uh, between the two. It's like the difference between going into Target uh, with a list of three things to purchase, like a birthday card, batteries, and a gallon of milk, and going to Target to just get a few things. Like, I don't know if you have this experience in your house, but when we go to Target in our house, and we know that we need to get a birthday card, some AAA batteries, and a gallon of milk, we can walk into the store, we know where the cards are, we know where to grab the milk, we're going to pick up the batteries when we're checking out. Three things, roughly $8. When we go to Target to pick up a few things, a hundred dollars later, we're walking out of the store going, what just happened? Right, because you didn't have a plan or a purpose really when you went in. You're just like, we're just, we're just going to go get a few things. Well, when you have clarity of mission, when you know what you're trying to accomplish, what God has called uh, you to do, it's easier to be able to tell the difference between uh, an opportunity and a distraction. Jesus did that 
uh, better than anyone on the face of uh, the earth. He had an unwavering plan for his life. He knew that he came to seek and to save the lost. He came to go to the cross. He came uh, to die for the sins of his sons and his daughters. And he wasn't going to let anything get in the way of that. Uh, If Jesus uh, did not let anything get in the way of his father's plan for his life, um, could it not be true as well that God is not going to let anything get in the way of his plan for your life? You know that, that your father in heaven has a plan for your life. Do you know that you're not here on accident? Uh, Do you know that the circumstances of life, that the things that uh, come your way, has not caught God off guard? He's he's not ruffling through the paperwork in heaven because things are happening to you that haven't first passed through his good hands. God has an unwavering plan for your life, just like he had an unwavering plan uh, for Jesus' life. Second thing we notice, second observation in Mark uh, chapter 6, is that Jesus was a man of prayer. Jesus was a man of prayer. When Jesus sends his disciples out into the water, Scripture says that Jesus retreated and he went to pray. There are three times in the Gospel of Mark where Jesus does this. Once on the front end of his ministry, uh, Jesus withdraws to pray. And once we read at the end of his life in the Garden at Gethsemane, uh, Jesus prayed as well. But here we notice the third time in the Gospel of Mark where Jesus uh, pulls back uh, and he spends time uh, with his Father. I'm I'm always struck when I think about the prayer life of Jesus. Because Because prayer for us can seem like this SOS to God. Like if I need anything, if I'm really desperate, uh, if I've run out of options, then I'll go to God in prayer. Uh, And yet, um, all throughout the Gospels, we see Jesus communing with his Father. We see Jesus spending time uh, with his Father. I don't know about you, but prayer can be a difficult uh, spiritual discipline for me. Like I, I read stories of great men and women of the faith who spent hours and hours and hours and hours in prayer, and I'm like, praise God uh, for them. I'm like, just give me a strong three to five minutes, right? And that'll be a baby step. I mean, it's so easy to get distracted. It's so easy for us to think that prayer Uh, isn't going to make a difference or that God doesn't hear our prayers. There can be all sorts of reasons why we don't pray. I came across a a story that maybe is familiar to you. Maybe you've heard of this story before. It's about a pastor uh, from a community who asked his uh, church to pray that God would shut down a, a neighborhood bar that had opened in their community. Uh, They were concerned about the impact that the bar would have on their community, and so they gathered together as a church family, uh, and they prayed that God would do something about it at an evening uh, prayer meeting. They pleaded uh, with God that he would rid the neighborhood uh, of this bar. A few weeks later, lightning struck the bar, and it burned to the ground. Having heard about the church's prayer crusade, the bar owner promptly sued the church. (laughs) He's like, all right, I'm taking you to court. 
When the court date finally arrived, the bar owner passionately argued that God had struck his bar with lightning because the church members prayed. And so the pastor, in all his infinite wisdom, he backtracked. Right? He backtracked, uh, trying to excuse himself from the accusations. He admitted that the church prayed, but he also affirmed that no one in the congregation really expected anything to actually happen. <laughs> and it did. And so the judge leaned back in this chair with amusement and said, I can't believe what I'm hearing. Uh, right in front of me, there is a bar owner that believes in the power of prayer, and there is a pastor who does not. <laughs> God answers our prayers. Our prayer makes a difference. God hears us when we pray. I know I may have shared this story with you before, but it was an illustration for me of, of how God often answers the prayers of his kids, both big and small. Four years ago, I was in South Haven, Michigan on vacation with Melissa and the kids, and uh, throughout the course of the week, uh, Melissa had caught me a couple times looking at PetFinder.com. I was thinking about getting a dog. Uh, we had had a dog earlier in the year for all of two days, and everyone who saw the dog told us that dog looks like um, it's a pit bull. And we heard that about six times. And not wanting our dog to eat our children, we decided to give the dog back um, to where we received the dog. They were disappointed, but our kids were seemingly safe. And so we kind of forgot about it for a while. But when I was on vacation, I thought, man, for some reason, I just kept on looking up dogs online and melissa's like what are you doing and i'm like i don't know i'm thinking about getting a dog for the kids and she's like we had a dog we gave the dog away i'm like i know but i just i mean i grew up with a dog i mean it'll teach our kids responsibility and so that last uh, morning we were in south haven michigan i walked to the beach early in the morning to watch the sunrise and i know this sounds silly but i walked out uh, to the beach and i sat down on the sand and i i began to pray and i was like lord i know this is this is strange, but, but man, can you like give me some wisdom with, with whether or not our family should get a dog? Like, I don't, I don't know what we should do. I think it would be good for the kids. I grew up with dogs, but it seems like a lot of work, and I'm praying out loud uh, to the Lord, and all of a sudden I, I hear uh, coming from behind me what sounds uh, like a bark. And I open up my eyes, and when I open up my eyes, there is uh, before me a Jack Russell Terrier. Uh, who drops a tennis ball right in front of me. <laughs> I can't make this stuff up. And I'm like, Lord, I'm going to need something else. <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm going to need just one more sign. <laughs> but I look at that story, and maybe you're thinking, well, hey, listen, I mean, that, there's lots of dogs in the world. Maybe that was just by chance, yada, yada. I mean, we explain stories and create narratives all the time. But in that moment, I just... I just thought, Lord, man, like, that's kind of neat. That's kind of neat, you know? And, uh, <clears throat> and we got a dog. And I'm still angry with the Lord about it. <laughs> but, but he's working on me. God answers prayers. Your, your prayers matter. You know, they matter. Uh, and because they matter, we as a people should uh, feel the freedom to pray uh, anywhere anytime, about anything. Man, big, big or small, I think we can take 
seemingly silly things to the Lord and go, hey, I'm wrestling with this. I'm thinking about this. I need help with this. And God actually wants to hear from us. That means we can pray when we're confused and when we face a big decision. We can pray when our relationships are struggling and they're not working out. We can pray when our and our marriage is going through a difficult time. Students can pray about their parents when you think your parents are the lamest parents in the world. You can bring that before God. Parents, you can, you can pray about your kids when you're struggling and you don't have all the answers and you feel like you're just trying to figure things out on the fly. You can pray when you're depressed and when you're uh, desperate and when you're needy. You can uh, pray when God is just being good to you and is extending his grace to you. You can pray for God to change you and to help you uh, and forgive you and to strengthen you and direct you. You can pray about anything. You can pray about anything. God hears your prayers. He heard the prayers of Jesus. Uh, he, heard, he hears uh, your prayers today. Now, Jesus was was a man with an unwavering plan. He was uh, a, a man of prayer, and he also uh, was all-powerful. Jesus uh, was the all-powerful Son of God. We see this uh, demonstrated and lived out for us in Mark uh, chapter 6, verses 47 and 50, uh, when Jesus demonstrates his deity by walking on water. It says on verse 47, When evening came, the boat was out, on the sea, and he was alone on the land, and he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. He meant to pass by them, but when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out, for all, they, uh, all, they, uh, for all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart. It is I. Do not be afraid. The disciples were out on the water, apparently for a long, long time. When Jesus comes to them, it's sometime between 3 and 6 o'clock in the morning. It says that they were uh, making headway painfully, or literally they were straining at the oars. Because the wind was coming against them. The water was coming against them. And what they were feeling in that moment was opposition. Uh, if you've ever walked on the beach before or run on the beach before or uh, rode a bike on the beach before, you know that there is no greater feeling than having the wind at your back. Right? You feel like an Olympian. Right, when you are walking or running or riding your bike on the beach and the wind is behind you and everything seems right in the world, but when you turn around and you head back from where you came uh, and that wind is coming at you and you feel the sand uh, smacking up against your face, it is a different experience entirely. Right? This is the experience that the disciples had uh, hour after hour after hour. And when I read that, I thought uh, to uh, myself that not only does Jesus send his disciples uh, into uh, the storm, not only does he send the storm, but he also sends peace in the middle of the storm. Um, do you know that there are times in life when opposition or difficulty in life uh, does not mean it is a dead end? Uh, in fact, sometimes when we experience opposition 
or difficulty, it might be because we are actually heading in the right direction. But all too often there are times in life when we experience difficulty or challenges and we think to ourselves, well, clearly uh, this is not from the Lord because it feels like I'm going right into the wind. Right? And God would not have this for me. Right? He loves me too much to let me experience difficulty or challenges. And yet, um, there are times when we read in Scripture that God actually sends His people right into the storm. Right into the storm. Uh, one of the challenges that we have had in, in my family is, is family devotions. Um, honestly, there, there are times, in fact, most of the time, um, just spiritually speaking, um, Melissa can be on her track and following and doing her stuff, and I can be following and doing my stuff. Um, but, it, but it's rare that we can come together as a couple and go, hey, let's, let's actually do this together. Like, let's open up the Word together. Let's pray together. There are times in my life when I'm challenged to do that. And so I will sit down with Melissa, and I'll be like, let's, man, let's break open the Word together. We're going we're gonna to pray together as a couple. I heard this one story about a guy who does this with his wife and his kids, and they love him for it, and he's the most godly man on the planet. And so we're going to do it too. I swear, every time we do it, we end up fighting. Like we open up the word and like seven minutes later, Melissa's looking at me going, get behind me. Right? It's like wheels off. Like we sit down with our kids at the dinner table and we have a box with like 87 Bibles. And it's like we're going to pull out the word together as a family. Daddy's going to share with you what he's learning from the word and you're going to like it. And we pull out the word and I read a verse and maybe I have a little devotional and and I ask a question, and I look, and Amelia's standing on the table. Noah's sleeping, and Cademan's not even there. And I'm going, what in the world are we doing? And I'm like, every time I have that experience, I go, it's just not worth it. And it's just not worth a fight. It's not worth a fight. You do your thing. I'll do my thing. We'll do our thing. You guys do your things. Maybe, <laughs> maybe, just maybe difficulty in opposition is not a sign that God is going, no, that's a bad idea. Right? Maybe instead there's actually an enemy that does not have our best interest in mind. And when we start feeling a little opposition, it's because we're actually moving in the right direction. Right? So the disciples are out on the water, the waters that Jesus sent them into. But Jesus isn't caught off guard by the storm. Right? He's not praying, thinking, oh my goodness, who's in charge of the weather? Who's in charge? Who did this? Right? Jesus knows. And so he sends them out onto the water. And the disciples are here. It says the fourth watch, which is 3 to 6 o'clock in the morning. It's been a long night. Most people are sleeping then. Not the disciples. They're out there fighting the wind and the waves. It says in verse uh, 48, And he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. Uh, he meant to pass by them. It's an interesting phrase. A lot of people wrestle with what does that mean when it says he, he meant to pass by them? Does it mean that he was like, Hey guys, good luck with all that. 
I'm going to the shore. Like, is, is that what he's talking about? Like, when he said he meant to pass by them, was he, was he going to say hello but continue on? Like, what, is it, what does it mean when Scripture says Jesus went uh, to pass by them? I think we get a little wisdom by looking at this same phrase but in the Old Testament. Um, in the Old Testament, when God uh, passes by someone or he, he passes by his people, uh, sometimes it can refer to uh, God revealing himself to his people. So Exodus chapter 33, uh, verses 21, there's this conversation that takes place between uh, God and Moses. And uh, Moses has been tasked by God uh, to go. And Moses is like, who should I say uh, sent me? And it says in verse 21, And the Lord said, Behold, uh, there is a place by me where you shall uh, stand on the rock. And while my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand until uh, I have passed by. Then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but my face you sh- uh, my face shall not be seen. So God is saying to Moses, I'm going to pass by you, and I'm going to reveal myself uh, to you. I'm going to reveal my glory to you. We see something similar when um, God is interacting with Elijah on Mount Horeb in, in uh, 1 Kings chapter 19, uh, verse 11, it says, And he said, Go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. And, beho- and behold, uh, the Lord passed by. The Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. Uh, but the Lord was not in the wind, and after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake, and after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire, and after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. The, the Lord uh, passed by. In, in Job chapter 9, verse 11, we, we read more of uh, this, this language. It's in the context of creation, and it talks about uh, the wind in the waves. And, and Job is basically saying in Job chapter uh, 9, verse 11, that, that he, he can't handle the, the presence of the Lord on uh, the water. It's a fascinating passage. And so I think here, when, when Mark chapter 6 talks about this idea of Jesus um, intending to pass by, I think in some sense Jesus wants to reveal himself uh, to his disciples. He wants to display uh, his goodness to his disciples because Jesus, Jesus wasn't just a guy with uh, an undeterred plan. He wasn't just a, a man of prayer. He was the God-man. Uh, Jesus was God. Right? Normal folk don't walk on water. That's unusual. But that... <laughs> It doesn't happen. And so Jesus is revealing himself uh, to his disciples, and he comes uh, to them, and he says, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. If you see uh, someone walking on water when you're in the middle of the lake, guess what? <laughs> you're scared. Right? You're terrified because that's not supposed to happen. That's unusual. I think sometimes we forget about the humanity of the disciples. We forget about the humanity of the people that we read about in Scripture. This stuff was not normal. So the disciples are scared. And Jesus comes to them and says, Take heart, it is I. Uh, Do not be afraid. Notice that Jesus spoke these words during the storm and not after the winds had died down. 
Right? So it's not like everything around them was cool now. And so Jesus was saying, okay, no, don't, don't be afraid. No, apparently still wind, still waves. And Jesus says, take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. That phrase there for it is I is the same phrase that, uh, that, that uh, God spoke to Moses um, when, when Moses was going to go uh, to Pharaoh to release the people in Exodus chapter 3, uh, it says, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. I am. I am who I am. And when Jesus speaks these words, It is I, it, it, it causes us to think back uh, to God's words in Exodus chapter 3 when he, in essence, uh, says the same thing. And so Jesus is speaking to his disciples in the midst of the storm when everything around them uh, is seemingly falling apart. They're tired. They're exhausted. They've been up all night. They're probably tired of this song and dance. And Jesus says, uh, do not be afraid. God is here. Right? God's here. It is like a father who comes and scoops up their son or their daughter who has been uh, injured or who has been hurt. What do you say, mom or dad? What do you, what do you say uh, to your little boy or little girl when you scoop them up in your arms? You say, it's, it's all right, uh, mom is here. It, it's all right, uh, dad is here. You, you lose a kid in the grocery store, in the store. You, you, you turn and all of a sudden they're gone and, and you have that moment. It could be three seconds. It could be three minutes. But they're playing a game of hide-and-go-seek that they didn't tell you about. And you don't know exactly where they are. And then you find them. Right? And there's part of you that's like, you're grounded forever. And there's this other part of you that sees tears in their eyes and you're like, man, it's okay. Like, like dad's here. It's going to be all right. I think Jesus is speaking this to the disciples in Mark chapter 6. He says to them, take heart. Uh, God is here. Your dad's here. Your dad's here. It's going to be okay. I think uh, God still speaks those words to his kids today. Still speaks those words to his kids today. So when, when your life is in shambles, when things go sideways, when you don't have everything figured out, when your most important relationships aren't working for you, when you see your kids run and you don't know if they're going to run back, when your finances are falling apart, when, when just you are experiencing life in a fallen world, I think God comes to us in those moments and says, uh, take heart, and it's okay. God's here. God's here. Uh, courage in life comes from understanding God's character and not from our ever-changing, unreliable, and unpredictable circumstances. Because right? our circumstances are changing all of the time. Right? You get a phone call, you get a text message, you get an email, you walk away from a meeting, your life can change like that. can change in a heartbeat. Right? So, so God is not saying... Uh, Everything is fixed. Everything is fixed, so cheer up. It's going to be okay. No, he, he speaks to us in the middle of the storm and says, take heart, do not be afraid. I love verse 51. It says, and he got into the boat with them, and uh, the wind ceased. Uh, Jesus is ever-present. Jesus is ever-present. Jesus uh, is uh, with us. 
Uh, when, when you read this account in, in other of, uh, of the Gospels, you, you read about Peter walking on water. You know the story about Peter walking on water? And sometimes we talk in the Christian life. Uh, we even write books about this. There's a book by author John Ortberg that says, if you want to walk on water, you've got to get out of the boat. Right? And we, when we talk about how, how faith propels us uh, to take risks, uh, faith propels us uh, to move out, faith propels us to kind of stick our necks out a little bit, uh, even when we don't have everything figured out. All of those things are true. Right? Without faith, it's impossible to please God. God wants us to live lives of faith. We, we should take steps of faith in life. But what I love about uh, this story, what I love about uh, this verse is that it says that Jesus got into the boat with them. He got into the boat with them. God is an ever-present God. He does not simply offer comfort from afar. He is not a distant deity. He is Emmanuel, God with us. Uh, God gets into the boat. Right? He gets into the boat with you. He gets into the boat uh, with you in the most difficult times in life, in the most beautiful times of life. Right? He is with you in the wind ceased. Uh, maybe you're experiencing a time in life right now where, where you feel the wind and it doesn't feel like it's at your back. Right? You feel like it is right in front of your face. You feel like you're walking along the beach, only the sand has, has picked up and it's smacking you. Or you feel that. But I want you to know that, that God is with you. Right now, uh, he is with you. He gets into uh, the boat. Uh, the last observation that we see here in, in Mark uh, chapter 6 is that Jesus uh, is incredibly patient with his kids. Jesus is incredibly patient. So, so just think for a moment of, of everything that's taken place, even just in, like, the last 24 hours, right? So here you are with Jesus. Uh, there's thousands of people. Jesus is teaching. People are hungry. Jesus takes five loaves, two fishes, multiplies it, feeds the masses. Um, people are blown away. They want to crown him king. Jesus sends his disciples out unto the water. They're struggling while they're on the water, uh, but they see sometime in the middle of the night or the wee hours of the morning, they see Jesus walking on water. <laughs> walking on water. And Jesus uh, gets into the boat. And Scripture says at the end of Mark chapter 6, verse 51 and 52, and they were utterly astounded. I get that. But then verse 52 says, For they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. Right? So, I mean, I read that, and it's like, it's as if Jesus is showing off for them time and time and time again, and they're going, I don't, did you get that? I didn't get that. That bread thing back there with the fish? Were you, catch, were you following? I don't, I don't get that. But their, their, their hearts were hardened. You know, sometimes it's good to remember that our heroes were human. Our heroes were human. Faith can be fickle. Um, those who were closest 
to Jesus didn't always see Jesus. Those who walked with Jesus, and you would think would have the strongest faith in Jesus of anyone, still found themselves, after walking with Jesus for quite some time, going, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. And, and I read that, and I think to myself, listen, it, this, this isn't an example going, hey, your life should be full of, of doubt as well, because their lives were full of doubt. But I think what that does is it reminds us of our own humanity. It just, it just gives us some, some space where, where we can know the stories and read the stories and hear the stories. And there's moments where we believe the stories. And then there's moments where we don't. Right? There's moments of great trust and great faith where we go, God, I know you haven't forgotten me. God, I know you're working in me. God, I know that I'm your son. I'm your daughter. I'm one of yours. You love me. You're pursuing me. And then there's other times where we're going, ah, I got questions. I think this reminds us that Jesus, uh, that God is incredibly patient. He's patient. He's patient with his disciples. He's uh, patient uh, with, with you and with me. And I think what that helps us to do is it reminds us that we, too, can be patient with others. We can be patient with others because God has been patient with us. Jesus, Jesus was a man with an unwavering plan. Nothing was going to get in his way. Uh, Jesus was a man of prayer. He spent time with his Father. Jesus uh, was all-powerful. Jesus was and is uh, the God-man. Jesus is uh, ever-present with you uh, this morning. And Jesus, uh, Jesus, thank God, is incredibly patient with you and with me. Would you pray with me? Father God, I thank you that uh, that you reveal Jesus uh, to us uh, in the pages of your word. Lord, I thank you that we can read these stories and our eyes are open uh, to the goodness and to the power and to the majesty of your Son. Uh, Lord, thank you that you have opened our eyes and helped us to see uh, for folks here this morning who still, uh, like the disciples, quite honestly, are wrestling with faith uh, in their hearts, I pray that you would be graciously uh, patient with them this morning. I pray that you would uh, open up their eyes, help them to see your goodness. God, we love you. We thank you that you have loved us first. We pray these things in Jesus' name and by your Spirit. Amen.